did, uh, trying to find uh, from his life, from his ministry, what we need to do so that we can uh, be better followers of his and more effective in our lives. We were talking about how Jesus managed his personal life, and we started a couple weeks ago talking about Jesus and his prayer life. Jesus prayed, uh, Jesus connected in prayer constantly, and we've talked about the need for prayer, why we pray, why prayer is so important. It's become an incredibly neglected uh, part of our lives as Christians. People don't pray like they used to. We're finding all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different things to substitute for prayer in our lives and even in our churches, but that's an absolutely wrong thing to do. The Bible is filled with verses about the importance of prayer, the need of prayer, the way to pray. In fact, 2 Chronicles 7.14, you've probably uh, heard this verse before. Maybe you've uh, claimed it. You might have written it on your Facebook page when an election is coming up because that seems to be when this is a very popular verse. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, And my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. It's obvious that prayer is important for the followers of Jesus Christ. It's obvious that prayer is important not just for individuals, but for the people of God. And us as believers and us as a church, it's incredibly important that we pray. That we pray. It's easy to give lip service to prayer, isn't it? Because prayer, an effective prayer life is a very personal thing. It's something that we do on our own. Or something we say we do on our own. Right? It's, it's very easy to give lip service. It's very easy to tell other people, I'll pray for you. In fact, I, I used to work, we kind of joked, I, I worked for a pastor out in Missouri, and those of us on staff, um, we knew when he was uh, done talking with someone because he would give the prayer of blessing. If he wanted to end a conversation, he would say, well, let's pray. And he'd go to prayer. So it's easy to, um, to give lip service. It's easy to um, tell people you're going to pray for them. It's even easy to get yourself onto a prayer list, right? It's easy, that's sticking out farther than I thought. It's easy, it's easy to get yourself onto a prayer chain and say, I'll be involved in it, but never follow through. Because it's not anything that anybody keeps up with you about. You don't, unless you have a prayer partner, you don't usually have an accountability partner for your prayer life. But I believe that prayer is difficult for people for a couple reasons. And one of them is what we'll be talking about in this message. I think one of the biggest reasons prayer is so difficult for many Christians is because as young Christians, as growing Christians, we never really learned how to pray. And we never really learned that prayer is something that we need to depend on. We never understood or were taught that prayer is a vital part and prayer is, should be our go-to as Christians. We were never really made to understand what we should pray for. What should we pray for? Many times that's exactly what stops us dead in our tracks. What is it that I need to pray for? Who to pray for, but what should I pray for for them? The Bible gives us direction, both through direct teaching in the form of principles of life about things that we should pray for. So this message hopefully is going to be one of practicality, giving us some ideas. I'm going to cover eight things that we should pray for. Don't worry, not all this morning, <laughs> okay? 
eight different areas of life that we should pray for. Now, there's a whole lot more, but I think many of, much of what we should pray for in our lives can fall into these categories. One that will uh, show us the kind of issues and concerns for which we should pray, both in our lives and for the lives of others, for our church and for the world outside our doors. There's many great men and women of God who have a great opinion or, or great things to say about prayer. So I want to share with you some quotes for some, from some great authors or great preachers about prayer. F.B. Meyer said this, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. R.A. Torrey said this, when the devil sees a man or woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. Cynthia Lewis said, if your day is hemmed in with prayer, it is less likely to come unraveled. E.M. Bounds, a great Christian author, he wrote 13 books, 11 of those books were about prayer, said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. D.A.T. Pearson says this, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. And A.W. Tozer said this very pointedly, to desire revival and at the same time to neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another. Prayer is so vital for us as believers. Prayer is so vital for us as a church. It is our means of communication with God. We covered that a couple weeks ago. It's the way we talk with God. It's the way we connect with him. It's the way we build a relationship with him talking with him in prayer, learning how to be quiet before him and be still before him and learning from him in prayer. But what should we pray for? What are some of the things that we should pray for? If we were to take a poll, if we were to go around and talk about our individual prayer lives, I'll bet you that's where a lot of people get stuck. What do we pray for? When someone's really sick, I appreciate my father, um, what, he, what he had to say today. When someone's sick, what do you, how do you pray? How do you pray for them in that? What is it exactly that you should pray for? How should you form your prayer over different things? Corey Ten Boom said this, any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. Any concern too small to be made into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. In other words, anything and everything in life that concerns you your relationship with others, or your walk, or your life, period, is something to pray about. But we want to get a little bit more specific in this message, so we're going to talk about some different things. The first thing that I believe that we should pray about, is pray for, is this, a graceful, a gracious, and thankful heart. I believe the very first thing that we as Christians should pray for in our lives is a gracious and thankful heart. It has become so... Uh, so popular in society today to complain about everything, about everything. We complain about everything. I mean, it, even, it has even crept into sports, right? If you are a fan of a certain team and you have, you're on Facebook with their pages, there's always some troll writing something about your team, complaining about something. 
Everything in life has become a complaint. If Big Y doesn't have the right kind of yogurt that you liked, we go on. We make a complaint about it, right? We put a post on it. We get people to like our post. We complain about everything. That's just our society. It's become our national pastime. Is to complain about everything. But have you taken the time lately to realize what it is that you have in life? To realize the blessings that you have in life. It was, t- it was difficult for me to, to watch that, uh, to pay attention to the kids singing. It blessed my heart. I mean, it was awesome. But I was getting ready to preach. So I'm, I'm trying to get myself, uh, get, you know, get where I know where I'm going to start and how I'm going to start. And I had two sons up here singing away. One of them that held up the A. That was Gabriel. <laughs> I thought, here's our kids, man. Just to, Cliff, Cliff said something to me this morning. He said, Pastor John, a couple years ago, we didn't have any kids here at all. Absolutely, man. And now, um, our children gave the plan of salvation this morning. It's awesome. It's awesome. Amazing. I'm thankful for the opportunity I have to pastor this church. But I am amazingly thankful for a wife who said yes, first of all, to marry me, but secondly, <laughs> to, whew, that, one, that was a close one, but then to adopting those two little boys. Because not only did they accept Jesus as their Savior and then follow him in baptism, they were up here sharing a plan of salvation. And it's awesome. I have so much to be thankful for. I have amazing things. Before we complain as Christians, we should be thankful. We should be thankful for everything we have in life. Thankful for the good. Paul says many places we need to be thankful for the challenges and the trials in life. Because they make us better people, better followers. Why should we pray for a thankful heart? Well, just like last week when I said, why should we pray? because God tells us to. The first reason that we should pray for a thankful and gracious heart is this. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us to begin our conversations with God with prayer and thanksgiving. He teaches us right there. When he he told the disciples, they said, teach us to pray. And he said, pray after this manner. He wasn't saying repeat this prayer, although it's okay to repeat the Lord's Prayer. It's fine. No, No problem there. But it's a, it's a pattern to follow. And the first thing we should do when we open up our time of prayer with God is being thankful for all he's done for us. Thankful for the air he breathes. You ever gotten in bed at the end of a long, hard day and laid down and said, oh, God, thank you so much for a soft bed? You know? Gone into a, uh, stepped out of this amazing heat into an air-conditioned room. to Thank you, God, for technology that keeps it cool in here. I grew up in the mid-Atlantic, and air, air conditioning wasn't something that was in every home at, in those days, and ours was one of those. And I remember as a 10-year-old kid trying to go to sleep when it's just horrible out, just terrible. So I'm so thankful for those things. But do we stop and think to thank God for the little blessings or the big blessings in life first? We go to him with SOS prayers, or we go to him with these great needs, or we go to him when we get a text message saying, could you pray for this? But do we go to God saying, thank you for the things you've done 
for me. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Jesus said, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praise and thank God. There are times when uh, I got up the other morning, uh, I think it was yesterday morning, and everybody else was, was still asleep because it was a late night here at uh, VBS, closing down VBS, and uh, everybody was still asleep. And I got up, and I was getting things ready for the day, and I put the Psalms on, on my phone, and I just let the Psalms play while I was doing my work. And it's amazing to me the things that David was thankful for and how open he was in writing, opening up his heart to God, saying, thank you for this and thank you for that. And it really challenged me as a child of God to be more thankful for the things God has done for me, to be more thankful for the things that God has given to me in my life. Yeah, life gets tough at times, right? We have challenges, we have struggles, we have difficulties. We all do. But God blesses us with so much. And one thing I'm thankful for is the air to breathe to get through those difficulties. Because I, I've said this before, there's a guy, an old guy at the gym. I don't, Lewis, I don't know if you ever met this guy. There's an older guy. I haven't seen him for a long time. I said, one morning, I said, hey, sir, how you doing today? And he says, you know, one of those words of wisdom from the, el from the, the older folks. He says, you know, every morning I wake up and I do this. If I don't touch wood, I know I'm okay. Like, well, hey, that works, right? If I don't have a coffin around me, that's what he's saying. Just in case. <laughs> but he teaches us to be thankful. What's another reason we should pray for a gracious and thankful heart? Because it is part of our witness to the world. There is nothing worse than a poor testimony for Jesus Christ. There's nothing less convincing than someone who constantly complains about their church, about the church members, about how, you know, nobody wants to be part of something that you think is horrible. You know, don't you love it when somebody walks up to you and they've got this horrible look on their face and they say, oh, this is so awful, taste it. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm all over that. Right, yeah, I'm jumping on that with both feet. Absolutely. Have you seen the commercial? Spam tacos? Come on, man. Spam tacos? I thought fish tacos were rough, but spam tacos? What in the world? Yeah, it's just crazy. People, you know, you, you don't... It, it's not something... or. When your gentleman, when your wife comes to you and says, this is really out of code and there's green stuff growing on it, does it smell bad? <laughs> I'm guessing yes. Nobody wants to be part of something that you think is horrible. So we need a gracious and thankful heart as part of our witness to the world to let them know that being a Christian is the greatest life to live. It's the greatest way to face life. And being part of a strong, vibrant, growing, loving local church that cares about its people and cares about its community and cares about its children is something that we need, that, that I love to be a part of. And you should want to be a part of it as well. Psalm 75 verse 1 says, 
We give thanks to you, God. We give thanks to you, for your name is near. People tell about your wondrous works. When was the last time you shared with someone a wondrous work that God has done in your life? Someone inside your church, someone inside your home, or someone outside your church. When was the last time you spoke well of Jesus in our society? And it's not popular today to talk about, talk well about Jesus. It's not popular to have a strong opinion about your faith because you might offend somebody. What did Jesus say to us about that? He said, in all things, you're going to offend somebody. He says, my name is going to offend people. My story is going to offend people. But that's just the way it is. They still need to hear about Jesus. They still need to know the ABCs of salvation, right? If we talk more about Jesus and less of ourselves and other stuff, people will eventually listen. People will eventually listen. Third reason I think we need to pray for a gracious and thankful heart is because God has a plan to use your thankful heart for his purpose. God has a plan to use your thankful heart for his purpose. He wants to take your joy. He wants to take your excitement, your energy, your thankfulness for what he's done for you, for what he continues to do for you. And he has a purpose and a plan for that. You know that God has a purpose and a plan for pain that you've gone through in your life as well? Everything that happens in your life, God can use for his glory. And God can use to spread his story to others. But you need to be willing to have a thankful heart and praise him for everything. First Thessalonians 5 verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's plan, it's God's purpose for you to be thankful, to praise him for the good things he's done. To make his name famous. To lift him up. Remember what he says in the Gospel of John? If I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. It's not our job to win people to Christ. We're not the ones that died on the cross for anybody's sins. But it's our job to lift Jesus up and to at least give people the chance to hear about him. At least give people the option and the opportunity to come face to face with the one that died for their sins. That's our responsibility. Praising God will change your life because it changes your worldview. So what else should we pray for? Secondly, I believe we should pray for wisdom and direction in life's decisions. We need to pray for wisdom and direction in life's decisions. What happens a lot of times in the lives of followers of Jesus is that we run headlong into a decision and we, we rely on our own instincts, our own understanding. We go to people that we know or we research it, the, we research it on the internet because if it's on the internet, it has to be true, right? And we make our decision based on, on what we've talked about with other people, but we've never really gone to God and had a great conversation and waited for his answer. 
A lot of times it's because we don't want to wait. We don't have the patience and the time to wait, we think, for God to answer us. But it's really vitally important that we pray for wisdom and direction in life's decisions. Why? Well, since God designed life, it stands to reason that he knows the best and most successful way to live it, right? Since God designed life, since he is the creator of all things, since he, since he is the one who holds all things together by the word of his testimony, since he is the source of all life and breath and love and everything that has to do with this universe, it just stands to reason that he would be the one that has the best understanding of how to live life and know the best way to live it. And since God has a plan for us, and it includes us sharing his word with the world, and his plan for us right now is to be a testimony to the world, since that's what God is about, it stands to reason that we as Christians should go to him for wisdom about making life's decisions. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things you do not know. Call to me. I will answer you. And I will show you things that you do not understand. You don't have any, any understand or comprehension of. I'll teach you things you just don't know. I'll teach you things you need to learn. People ask me um, why I listen to other pastors or Bible teachers. It's because I got, I've got so much to learn. There's so much to learn. And God has blessed other men and women with wisdom and knowledge and understanding and practicality. And I can learn from them. So I pray and I ask God for wisdom to, to find someone uh, that I can listen to. I can download a podcast. When you're facing tough choices in life, what's your first response? Do you go to God in prayer or do you panic and try to figure out how we're going to make this work? How are we going to make this work? How are we going to handle this? How are we going? When you're facing a tough decision with your children, when your children just aren't being what you envisioned your children to be, right? Little, uh, little Shirley Temple. Some people remember Shirley Temple. When your children are being difficult, do you go to a book on child rearing? Or do you go to God? Say, Lord, I need wisdom to handle this kid. I need wisdom to make this decision. I need wisdom to know how to. Some of you, uh, you're looking for decisions. You're trying to make decisions on disciplining children. How do we discipline God? Have you, have you talked to God about it? How do I discipline my kids? Some of you struggle in marriage, and you struggle, struggle in that marriage relationship. Well, God, how do I? Have you gone to God? Or do you complain to your girlfriends or boyfriends about about this. God, how do, I, how do I make this work? How do, I, how, how do I make this marriage successful? You got married for a reason, right? Because you wanted to be with that person. But then you don't want to work at it. And you don't want to, to make the change because what I'm just about to say is tough because 
you don't want to make the changes in yourself that are required to make that marriage successful. If you wanted to live your life your way only, you probably shouldn't have gotten married, right? If you wanted perfection in your children, you probably shouldn't have had any. It's just not going to work. So if we're not, going, if we're not perfect people and we're going to have to make changes in our life to make our relationships work, and if we're going to have to work, actually work, at being successful at marriage and successful at parenting or successful at walking every day with Jesus Christ or successful at work, whatever it is, shouldn't we go to God? Doesn't it just stand to reason that we should go to the source of wisdom and knowledge to find out direction for our lives? Isaiah 30 verse 21 says, And whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. Walk in it. When you go to God in prayer, when you ask him for direction, when you ask him for wisdom, he says, I will lead you. I will lead you. I will show you the way to go. I'll, I'll help you make the right decisions. But you have to come to me first. Even when you go on your own and can't see God's plan, he knows where you are and is still working on your behalf. And if you'll just turn to him, he says, I've got your best interests in my heart. Job 23 verses 8 through 10 say, if I go east, he is not there. And if I go west, I cannot perceive him. When he is at work at the north, I cannot see him. When he turns south, I cannot find him. What Job was saying is, all these places I'm choosing to go are places that God does not want me to be in my life. I'm making decisions that are not God-ordained or God-led decisions. Why don't I see God working in my life? Why don't you see God working in your finances? Why don't you see God working in your marriage? Why don't you see God working in your home? Why don't you see God working in your job? Why don't you see God working in your business? Because you're trying to do it on your own without the direction and wisdom of God. That's why. He says, look, you can go look anywhere you want, but if that's not where I'm leading... I'm not going to give you the answer, but I still have a plan for you. I still have a purpose for you. And if you just turn back to me, then I'll give you the answer. I'll give you the understanding. But God, I really want this. It's the desire. It's, it's what I really, truly want. Are you sure? Because he says, if you delight yourself in him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But the first thing you must do is make him number one in your life. Look at the end of Job 23 verse, verses 8 through 10. Verse 10 says, yet he knows the way I have taken. When he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. Even though I've walked away or I've walked my own way and made my mistakes, if I will turn back to him and follow his way, he will still use me. He will still refine me. He will still perfect me and make me a usable, powerful tool in his arsenal. Why should we pray for wisdom and direction? Because God wants to lead your life and make you effective. The last one we'll talk about this morning is this. The third thing we need to pray for is personal forgiveness. I know, I know it's popular nowadays for people to dismiss God and say, I don't need to ask God for forgiveness. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. If you're here this morning and you've never, never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you think that you can live a good enough life to get to heaven, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, 
I'm not sorry to be the one to tell you, but I'm sorry to burst your bubble. That's not the way it works. I know many of you were raised in uh, a church in a denomination that taught, yes, you're saved by grace, but you access that grace by good works, and that's not what the Bible teaches. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you're saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So if you're trusting your own good lifestyle, your own good works, your wonderful gifts to humanity to get you to heaven, you're trusting the wrong thing. We actually do need to ask God for forgiveness. You do owe him. If you want to spend eternity in heaven, I mean, and I'm not being flip, I'm not being silly here, I mean it. If you want to take the chance on spending eternity in hell, then by all means, don't acknowledge God in your life and don't ever accept Jesus as your savior. It's a crapshoot at the end of your life, if that's, how, if that's what you think. And according to the Bible, you'll spend eternity in hell. But if you want to spend eternity in heaven, the Bible says you must ask Jesus for forgiveness for the sins that you've committed. But it goes beyond that in our lives as Christians. There are times when we get off the tracks. There are times when we make decisions and choices that are just flat out wrong and sinful. I know it's not fashionable to use that word today, but that's exactly what it is. We choose to sin. We fall into sin. We're deceived and, and go into sin. Whatever that may be, it doesn't matter how you get there. You're there. What we need to do is figure out how to get out of it. And the Bible tells us exactly how to get out of our sinful condition. You actually do need to ask God for forgiveness. You need to ask him for forgiveness, first of all, if you want to be right in his eyes and have his blessing and favor on your life. Once again, if you're a Christian that wants to live your life on your own and take the chance of you being smart enough and wise enough to do everything on your own and not be accountable to God, then by all means, live that way. But if you want to have God's blessing on your life, if you want to have God's favor on your life, if you want God to, to uh, use you and do something through you and, be, and, and all the blessings that he promises to his followers in his word be yours, then you need to make sure you keep short accounts with God. And stay right with him through asking for forgiveness. Why else? If you want to be usable for his purpose. If you want to be usable for his purpose, you need to ask God for forgiveness. If you want to be truthful and live with integrity, you need to ask God for forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here at New Life, we believe in eternal security. I don't apologize for it. I believe that is exactly what the Bible teaches. That once you've accepted Jesus Christ, you are secure in his love. You are secure in his grace eternally. You cannot lose it. And I could give you a whole bunch of scriptures. John 10, 28 through 30, Romans 8, 35 through 39. And others that say, uh, John 3, 16, right in the verse that everybody uses about salvation, says very clearly that it's everlasting life. If it's everlasting, that means it doesn't have an end. And it means you can't even get yourself out of it. And I think one of the biggest, most powerful verses for understanding eternal security is 1 John 1, 9. Because he says, I will forgive any unrighteousness. I'll forgive anything you do. Anything that is outside of my will, anything that's outside of my plan. The word sin simply means, in the Greek, it simply means to miss the mark. It's like an, uh, shooting an arrow or playing a game of darts and, and missing the target. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. 
So if you've missed the mark and you're not right with God anymore in the religious terminology that we use, he says, if you come to me and confess that sin and ask for my forgiveness, I'll forgive you and cleanse you from any unrighteousness. And I'll put you right back on the path. Because with God, there are second chances and third chances and 50th chances and 100th chances. He just wants to build a relationship with you and use you and bless you because he loves you enough to die for you. And what should you pray for? This might have been needful to be the first thing because we should be desirous of being close to God in our lives. We should be desirous of having that personal relationship. So I, I, practice, I try to practice this in my personal life uh, with my wife. I will, I'll apologize to my wife, uh, usually on a daily basis. But even with my sons, because I believe that strong men are built from strong boys. And I believe strong men know what a man is all about, know what it means to stand up like a man, but also know what it means to be humble and to accept responsibility for the good things you do and the mistakes you make and the wrong things you do. So if I am having a rough morning and I snap at my boys, I'll go back to them and say, guys, I'm really sorry. I didn't, it, it wasn't right for me to take it out on you and I'm sorry. I even apologize to my dogs, for crying out loud. <laughs> and Ted, I mean, if you've ever met Teddy, good Lord, Teddy is just one walking unapologetic being. Teddy is, he's our 75 pound uh, golden doodle and he thinks he's a lap dog and he thinks that his purpose in life is to have you pet him. That's his purpose, man. So it doesn't matter. He will get up there and he will nuzzle his arm. I'm, I'm trying to make coffee and Teddy comes up and he puts his head under my arm and he's got that big head and he's got the nose and he gets it up and like, Teddy, hello, good morning, now leave. I haven't had coffee yet. I'm not right with God. Leave me alone. But he won't. And I'll snap at him. Teddy, get away from me. And I'll have to go back. Teddy, I'm sorry. Here, have a treat. <laughs> Everything's fixed with a dog with a treat, right? <laughs> we need to pray. Prayer is vital. Prayer is important. We're going to finish next week looking at some other things that we need to pray about. But remember this, most importantly, you need to pray and make sure that you are on the right footing with God at all times. Because there's always going to be a time when God wants to use you and you need to make sure you're in that position or he can call on you anytime. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for what we witnessed today. What a great day, Lord, it's been in your house. Great worship and relationships and fellowship, a great, great summer crowd here. And God, seeing these children who um, learned so much this week and had such a good time. I know I've had several of them ask me if we're having vacation Bible school next week. God, that's when you know that uh, you've got something going and that the Holy Spirit was right in the middle of it. Thank you so much for what we've learned. And thank you, God, for the privilege of prayer. Lord, may we as individuals, as families, as married couples, and as a church understand that prayer should be vital to us. It should be important to us. God, teach us to pray. 
Teach us to pray effectively. Teach us to pray valiantly. And teach us to pray vibrantly. And may we honor you in all things. God bless us as we go. Lord, we know it's hot. Would you keep your children safe? Help us to make wise decisions. And God, may we go forward this week as worshipers serving you, looking for opportunities, looking for open doors to walk through. And may we give you all the glory and praise. For it's in your precious name we pray and ask all these things. Amen.